All too often, we think of faith as something that's huge. But actually, faith is something everyone has. This message is the eighth in the series, Pray. The message is entitled, How to Persevere in Prayer. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, if you will, and your teaching sheets as we get ready to continue our series together called Pray. I want to talk to us tonight about the topic of uh, persevering in prayer. I'm going to talk about something that I think uh, we all kind of struggle with from time to time, and that's how to overcome our doubts. And just to begin with, I want to just state that all of us from time to time have to deal with doubts when it comes to prayer. And tonight I'm going to share with you some of the elements that will help us to deal with our doubting. And we'll look at some of the very important principles that will help us to really persevere, to press through in prayer uh, to get answers. Because I promise you this, uh, if, you are, if you let your doubts control you, you'll never be very committed to prayer. And so you have to get engaged in prayer in such a way that you're pressing through your doubts. It's interesting that all throughout the teaching ministry of Jesus, you will find that he uh, confronts the doubts of his disciples. Often he'll use phrases like this, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? And so there they are in a circumstance where he's about to produce a miracle or a miracle is needed, and they're struggling with something that all of us struggle with, doubt. And so Jesus confronts that, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? We might recall the story of one of the great apostles. His name was Doubting Thomas, and Thomas found himself in a place of doubting whether Jesus was alive or not after his resurrection, but God brought him through. Jesus presented himself to Thomas and proved that he was indeed who he was, and Thomas came through his doubts. I want to tell you that tonight, no matter how much doubt has been in your life when it comes to prayer, I want you to leave this evening knowing that God loves you any way that you can get past your doubts and you can pray through them, and God will hear and God will answer. We're talking about persevering in prayer, overcoming doubts. I want to share with you seven doubt busters. Are you ready for this? Seven things that will help you to break through doubt in your life and will help you to pray with a constant sense of faith in your life. And the first thing that will help you to overcome your doubts is to develop what I'm calling a simple faith, to develop a very simple faith. All too often we think about faith as something as being huge and something that really only truly spiritual people have, that the great spiritual people have great amounts of faith. But actually faith is something that everybody has. You have faith. I want you to say with me tonight, I have faith. Say it together. I have faith. There is the ability to believe that's placed inside of you. And you practice faith every time you sit down on a seat Every time you make an order at a restaurant, every time you put a coin or money into a soft drink machine, you're believing that something is going to happen. As soon as you sit down on that seat tonight, you believe that the seat was going to hold you. When you place an order in the restaurant, you believe that it's going to be delivered to your table. When you put money into a soft drink machine, you believe that something's going to happen. And so whether we realize it or not, we all have a dimension of faith. Faith is an action based on a realistic anticipation of or an expectation of something happening. That's all it is. You're acting in a way that puts you in a position to believe that something is going to be a response to your action. 
And faith, when it comes to God, is all about knowing the integrity of God, knowing something about the promises, the intentions of God, and knowing the ability of God, knowing that God is a God of integrity, that He never lies to us, and knowing that God is the God of promises. He has promises that have been given to us, and God is the God of uh, ability, that whatever He says He can do, He will do. And this gives us the simple faith. We don't need to make it complex. In fact, the Bible is is written in such a way that a child can understand it and a child can practice it. Simple faith. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse number one. Listen to what it says. Faith is, it's about to tell us what faith is. What is faith? Confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. And so faith is, as one translation says, is the substance of things hoped for. That is, you're hoping for something, but you have this something inside that anticipates it's going to happen. Hebrews 11, verse 6, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who comes to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. So let me share with you what simple faith is. It'll help you overcome your doubts. It will help you to persevere, to hang in there when you're praying. First of all, simple faith in God says, I believe God is. I believe that He exists. How many of you believe tonight that God exists? Amen? We believe that He is. You would not be here tonight, most likely, if you didn't have a confidence that you believe that there's a God in heaven, that the world was created by something other than just an accident. You believe that God exists. So the first dimension of simple faith is to simply say, I believe God is. Say it together with me. I believe God is. The second aspect of simple faith is I believe God can. Say it with me. I believe God can. Is God able to do anything? That was pitiful. Let me ask it again. Is God able to do anything? God can. So simple faith says I believe God is and I believe God can. And the third aspect of simple faith is I believe God will. So I believe God is I believe God can, and I believe God will. Let's say those three together. Are you ready? Here we go. I believe God is, I believe God can, and I believe God will. And so that's all faith is. Faith is very simple. Don't make it more complex than it really is. Faith comes to God and says, God, I believe that you are, and I believe that you can, and I believe that you will develop a simple approach to your faith. Don't make it overly complex. The second thing that is important when it comes to overcoming our doubts is to never let your doubts keep you from praying. It would be great if all of us had 100% faith all the time, never doubting. But I'll tell you something, as long as there's a devil around, there'll be doubt around. As long as there's a devil around, there will be doubt around. And the key is to never let your doubts dictate your prayer life. Don't let your doubts tell you when you're going to pray and when you're not going to pray. There's a great story in the Bible that really illustrates a man who brought his best faith to God, but nevertheless, he still had some doubts and still was heard by God. It's a very encouraging story. Every time I read it, it reminds me of how to pray even when I'm facing doubts in my life. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 27. Let me read it for you. It's a lengthy passage, but it tells a story. So I want you to listen to this as a story being told to you. 
When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd gathered around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing, arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Notice the, notice the statement of the man. If you can do anything, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now notice Jesus' response. If you can, Jesus said, or said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. What did Jesus say? The man said, if you can, would you do something? Jesus said, if I can, what do you mean if I can? Everything is possible to him who believes. Now, I want you to notice the boy's father's response back to Jesus. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, read the rest with me, help me overcome my... So what was the man saying? He was saying, I'm bringing to you the faith that I have, but I'm still dealing with some doubt, okay? I'm believing you. Yes, I believe that you can, but there's still this this thing of doubt going on inside of me. I I believe that you can help me, but help me overcome my unbelief. I love that prayer, don't you? Because there have been many times that I've had to pray a similar prayer like this. Lord, I believe, but would you help me with my unbelief? Would you help me to overcome the doubts that are going on inside of me? When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit, you deaf and mute spirit. He said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Aren't you glad that when Jesus does a work, it's a good work, amen? It's a complete work. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Let me ask you a question here. What if this man had allowed his doubts to keep him from praying? What if this man had allowed his doubts to keep him from asking Jesus to do something for his boy? He would have missed an incredible miracle in his life. Never let your doubts keep you from praying. God is bigger than your doubts. Amen? I need to say that again. God is bigger than your doubts. Amen? Why don't you turn to your neighbor and just remind them, God is bigger than your doubts. Go ahead and tell them, God is bigger than your doubts, all right? Use the faith that you have. Just use the faith that you have, and God will help you get where you need to be. This man just used the faith that he had, and God got him the rest of the way. I'm so glad we serve such a loving God. The third thing, I'm giving you seven of these. So This is number three. The third thing is to understand how God answers prayer. This will help you deal with doubts in your life. God answers prayer in different ways. Let me remind you that just because you ask God for something doesn't mean that He jumps the moment you ask Him, okay? When you ask God for something, He's not at your beck and call to do exactly what you want when you want it to happen in your life. God is much wiser and God is much better than that. God loves us more than that. 
And so God answers prayer, but not on the basis of our urgencies. How many times have you sent a 911 to God? Right? It's dial 911, God, you've got to do this, you've got to do this right now. And it seems as though God is not interested in our 911s. Because many times our 911s are an emergency to us, but they're not an emergency to God. God sees a bigger picture. We'll talk more about that in a moment. And God doesn't respond to us on the basis of our urgencies. God responds to us on the basis of His will, on the basis of knowing what's best for us. And I've told you this before, but I want to remind you of it again today because I need to be reminded of this on a regular basis. When God answers prayer, I believe that God answers all prayer, prayed by believing by, by, by his followers, by those who, who are followers of Christ. He will hear and answer your prayer. And God's prayer sometimes is a yes. God will sometimes say yes to you, and he'll answer your prayer with the very thing that you're asking for. And sometimes God will say no, okay? So you have to understand and be okay with God saying yes and be okay with God saying no. Why? Because God knows what's best, right? Just like a parent. I didn't give my kids everything they asked me. I, never, I didn't say yes to every request my kids have made of me. Sometimes I said no. Why? Because it's not good for you. No, you've already had, you know, five scoops of ice cream already. No, you can't have number six, okay? No, it's not good for you. And so there are times that you have to say no. A good parent doesn't say yes all the time, right? Right, parents? Okay. So a good parent sometimes is going to say no, okay? So sometimes it's yes, and sometimes it's no, and sometimes it's wait, okay? So God has three basic answers just as we do. See, God responds to us as a father. He's a father that loves us. And so sometimes say, yes, I'll do that for you. I'm in agreement with what you're asking for. Or no, I don't want to do that for you because it's not good for you. You've asked one thing, but I know what's better for you. Or wait, you're not ready for what you're asking for yet, and so I'm going to prepare you in a larger way for it. And I will look back on my life, and I'm grateful for the times that God has said yes to prayers that I prayed, but I'm also equally grateful, equally grateful for the times that God has said no to me. Are you glad for those times? Look back over your life and think about some of the times God said no to you, and you didn't like it at the moment, but when He said no, and, you, and he, he, he kept you from, from something that you would have stepped into or made a mess with otherwise, then you can give him thanks and praise. Always praise God for the yeses and always praise God for the noes and always praise God for the waits because when God says wait, it's good for you as well. It's preparing you for whatever it is that he's going to do in your future. It's interesting because before Jesus came, before Messiah, Christ came to earth, there were people for centuries that were praying for the coming of Messiah. They were praying because the promises of Messiah go all the way back to the book of Genesis. And so all throughout centuries, there were people praying for the coming of the kingdom, the coming of Messiah, and praying and crying out to God to send His Son into the world, the Messiah into the world. And it seemed as though it was never going to happen. And then Galatians 4 tells us this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son born of a woman, born under the law. The Bible says that there was a unique moment in time when God sent His Son into the world, and it was just the right time. God sent Jesus at the right time. Even though many people had been praying for centuries, it came in just the moment that God had ordained for it. And just as we are oftentimes praying for Christ to come back again, we wonder, will He ever come back again? Let me tell you this, He'll come back at just the right time. Amen? It'll be just the right time. And the same is true in your life, that if God has a promise for you, 
and he, he has it for your future, you hold on because that promise will come to pass in just the right time. It may not be your timing, but God's timing is always the best timing. And your doubt is busted, if you will, when you begin to understand that God answers prayer in different ways. Understand and trust Him with those answers. And that leads me to the fourth thing that I want to share with you this evening. You need to trust the superiority of God's wisdom and trust the superiority of God's plans. What word did I ask you to write down there? Superiority. Can I give you a, a, theologi- a big theological word? Does that be okay tonight? A little education, right? You ready for a little, little schooling? Okay. Transcendent. Say it with me. Transcendent. Theologians speak of God as the transcendent God. Articles of faith, many times we'll we'll refer to our God as the transcendent God. What does the word transcendent mean? It means going beyond the ordinary limits, surpassing or exceeding or extremely supreme, beyond the limits of anything that is human. And so when we think about God, we have to understand that He is the transcendent God. God is so far beyond us that we cannot come close to grasping His wisdom. Let me say that again. God is so far beyond us that in our human thinking, we cannot come close to grasping His wisdom. We don't know, we can't even get close to the wisdom of God. He's the transcendent God. Have you ever been around someone that was a whole lot smarter than you were, and you were working hard just to stay up with the conversation? A few months ago, I was at the Museum of the Bible. I'd been invited to a special event there, and I was seated. It was a banquet that was happening initially, and then a special tour of the Museum of the Bible. By the way, I would encourage you, if you've not gone to the Museum of the Bible, to make sure that you have the opportunity to do that. It's a, what a great resource it is right here in our community to be able to enjoy and appreciate. But I was there for this event, and they seated me at a table, and the, the, my wife was to one side, and another gentleman to my right side. He was introduced to me as a professor from MIT. I thought, I'm in trouble now, okay. And so he's a professor, a godly man, loves God and loves the Word of God, but I mean, this guy was brilliant. So I start feebly trying to have some conversation with him about what he does, okay? I would hate to have a recording of my conversation with that guy. I'm sure it sounded very much like a two-year-old with a, you know, a seven-year-old or something, very wise person, but I'm trying to engage him in what he does. And so as he's talking, I'm trying, oh yeah, I understand, that's awesome. I didn't understand a thing he said, okay? (laughs) No clue. I mean, he was talking about artificial intelligence, this, and this, that, robotics, that. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I understand. That's great. That's amazing, okay? (laughs) Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? about my response, okay? But I'm in a situation where I'm seated by someone who is transcending me. Are you with me, okay? I don't have a clue what this guy's talking about. I'm just so grateful that we have people like that who love Jesus, aren't you, okay? But what I want you to see is that there, we, we have this tendency to think that we're kind of on the same level as God, okay? We know that we're not, but when we pray a prayer, we think God ought to respond to us the way we think things should happen. And so our reasoning seems to make sense to us. You ever notice when you're asking God for something, you know why you're asking Him, right? And your reasoning seems to make sense to you. But so often we fail to realize that God is the transcendent God. And when God hears our reasoning, He's thinking, what are you thinking? Okay. 
because his wisdom is so far beyond us. Notice Psalm 86, verse 10. Would you read it together with me? Let's read it aloud and loudly. Here we go. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. God is in the class by himself. So we don't even come close. It's amazing to even consider that we get to spend eternity with Him through Jesus Christ. What an amazing gift of grace that is that we spend eternity with a God who is so great. Notice Romans 16, 27, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. When we pray, we need to remember that we're praying to the all-wise God. We can't grasp His wisdom. That's why many things that He does, we don't understand at all. We don't grasp how God, do, how God works and what God does. In fact, there are times when it seems like we're receiving the opposite to one of our prayers. You ever had that happen in your life? You're praying one thing, it seems like it goes the opposite direction. We're trying to figure, God, what's going on here? I'm praying this one thing, and it seems to be the opposite way. That's exactly what happened in the crucifixion of Jesus, right? What everybody thought was, an ama- was a tremendous defeat of Jesus, completely being wiped out, crucified, and put to death, became the most incredible victory in history. Right? The devil thought, and everybody's looking at Jesus. The disciples are thinking, wow, they killed him. What's going on here? He was the one who is the hope of Israel, the hope of the world. And and what is this all about? He's dead now. What they didn't count on was the fact that in the death would come the proving that indeed he was the son of God because death could not hold him. And on Easter morning, he's going to rise from the grave. And indeed he does and turns everything around. And so for a couple of days, things look pretty dark. But what looked like... A prayer that wasn't answered was a prayer that was going to be answered in an even greater way. What I want you to see tonight is that sometimes in your life, there'll be prayers that will seem like they're not going to be answered. It seems like they're going in the opposite direction, but sometimes the setback is a setup for an amazing victory. Look, at, look at, if you will, at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Man, I feel like preaching right now, all right? No, we declare God's wisdom. What are we declaring? Whose wisdom? Not our wisdom, but whose wisdom? God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't get it. They didn't understand the wisdom of God. Sometimes the things that look like the most miserable defeats are actually blessings in disguise. They're actually God's wisdom at work, and that's why we can pray with tremendous confidence to the transcendent, the superior God. Listen to Paul's words about this in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 28. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not, I read this, by the way, last week, and I'm reading it again. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, and he And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes as prays for God's people in accordance with the will of God. In accordance with whose will? Not our will, but whose will? God's will. And then notice this. Read verse 28. You love this verse, as do I. Read it with me. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. How do you break through doubt? You trust the superiority of God's wisdom and God's plans. Number five, the fifth thing. 
You and I, if we're going to bust through doubt, and I understand bust is not the right word there, but I'm giving it to you as a sort of a colloquialism to help us to grab this, is to record and to recall God's answers. We have this terrible tendency as human beings. Our tendency is to remember the things we ought to forget and forget the things we ought to remember. True? We remember stuff that we would do well to forget, and we forget things we would do well to remember. And so what we have to do to deal with doubt, we need to remember the things we need to remember. And part of what you and I remember has to do with the works of God in our lives. It's a call to remember. Notice Psalm 77, verse number 11. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. Can I ask you in your own, own life, is there, a, is there a track record that you have with God? Can you look back on your life and remember, you know, it was two years ago that God answered that prayer, and 10 years ago God answered that one, and, and six months ago God answered. Do you, are you keeping a record of God's work in your life? That's why I'm a big believer in writing, taking, uh, keeping a journal, because in a journal it causes you to write these things down. What did God do? How did God answer? But whether you have a journal or not, you need to keep it in your heart and mind to remember the deeds of the Lord. And he goes on to say, yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. Every month here, at least generally every month, we come together. We did last weekend to what we call the Lord's table. It's called the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, communion, the Eucharist. There are various words that are used to describe when we eat of the bread and we drink of the cup. And I want you to listen to what that's all about. Notice 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 25. For I received, Paul says, from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And so when we come around this table called the table of communion, the Eucharist, what is that all about? It's remembering the fact that Jesus Christ broke his body on the cross of Calvary so that we could have redemption. We should have died for our own sins, but when we hold that bread, we're being reminded of Jesus taking our place for us and that wonderful miracle called salvation. When we take that cup and we begin to think about the cup that represents the blood of Jesus, we think about the fact that Jesus shed his blood so that we can receive the gift of forgiveness. So communion is all about remembering. And I will tell you something, there's, there's a powerful force in remembering that brings you back to places of faith. It deals with your doubt, okay? You remember what God has done. And in the Old Testament, it's a great study of the Old Testament, you will find that God's people, after God would do a miracle in their life, they would often set up memorials that would help them to remember uh, the very thing that God had done at a particular time in a particular place. I want to give you one of these stories in 1 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse number 7. Listen to this. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. So you got the picture here? The Philistines are coming against God's people. And so the people come to Samuel, Samuel, whatever you do, don't stop praying. Don't stop calling on God for an answer here to deliver us. 
Verse 9, then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, that is, he continues to pray, and what happened? The Lord did what? The Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing, notice the answer here, while Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued, and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. Are you getting this picture? Here was this moment, this crisis in Israel. The Philistines are about to defeat Israel, and so the people say, Samuel, keep praying. Samuel, get a hold of God. We need a victory here. And God gives, us, gives him this incredible victory, and Samuel says, we are not going to forget what God did. We're not going to let this thing pass. Get me a rock. Get me a stone. Let's set it up here. We're going to give it a name. We're going to name that rock Ebenezer. And the name rock, the name Ebenezer means the Lord has helped us. And every time the Israelites would pass that rock, what they would, they, would they remember? They would remember the great victory that God had given them. Every time they would come by and they'd bring their little kids by, they would explain to their children, you know, that rock is named Ebenezer because we were in a terrible situation, but God came through for us. God gave us the victory, and we're able to celebrate that that's Ebenezer. The Lord has helped us, and you need some Ebenezers in your life, okay? You need some moments you look back on and say, this is what God did for me. And it might be just a writing it down in a journal. It might be something that you celebrate as a family, but there's a memory that you carry with you of what God has done. Do you remember the miracles of your past? Because they help you with the doubts of today. Next thing, number six, focus on the promises of God and the God of the promises. This will help you deal with doubt and help you persevere in prayer. Remembrances remembrances take you into the past. Promises take you to the future. So you remember the things of the past that you need to remember of what God has done, but then you look forward to the future based on God's promises in your life. One of the best ways to deal with doubt in your life is to hold on to the promises of God. I want to tell you this evening and remind all of us of something that I've told you before that you know if you studied Scripture at all, this book is a book of promises. This is God's Word to you. It's not just telling you what to do and trying to tell you how, telling you how to live your life. It's that book of instructions. But it's also a book of promises. So when you read this book, you need to be looking for the promises of God for your life. Classic promise. We know it well. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's a promise, right? Whoever believes in him, here's the promise, shall not perish but have everlasting life. When I was seven years of age, I accepted Jesus Christ as Lord of my life. I invited Him in, and I believed that He gave me that moment eternal life. I'm not waiting to get eternal life. I already have eternal life. I'm going to live forever. Now, don't anyone go away from here and say, Pastor Bill said he's never going to die. No, I didn't say that, okay? I said, I'm going to live forever. I'm going to change addresses, okay? Amen? 
My address will not always be here, but I'm going to continue to live for it. I already have eternal life. I'm not waiting to get eternal life. I already have eternal life. Because I feel it? No, it has nothing to do with what I feel. It has to do with what God said in His Word. It's a promise, okay? What's the promise again? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So when I accepted Jesus, there at that moment, the promise became real to me, okay? And what I want you to see is that all through the pages of Scripture, there are promises, but you've got to look for them. If I told you that in this room, around this room somewhere, there, was, there, was, there, was, there were bags of gold, okay? That before you came to church tonight, we put bags of gold under certain seats around here, and it's, it's enough to pay off every debt you've ever had and to set you up for the, I mean, it's better than the lottery, okay? You know what would happen? My sermon would be over right now. All of you would be out here running around looking every place you can to find those bags of gold. You ought to open up your Bible every day searching for the bags of gold called promises, okay? Are you hearing me? Okay. Because they're much better. They'll get you further than a bag of gold will, okay? They'll carry your life further. So you're looking for the promises of God in your life. Why? Because, prom- again, remembering the miracles points you to your past but promises of God from God point you to your future, what God has in store for you in the days to come. Notice 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 20. Why don't we read this together, okay? For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and so through Him the Amen is spoken to us, by us, to the glory of God. Are you getting that? In other words, Jesus is saying, whatever promises are here in the Bible, you have to understand that in Christ, God has already said yes. He says yes to every promise. Now, all he's waiting is for us to add something to his yes. What are we to add to his yes? What? Amen. Do you understand what amen means? Amen means let it be as it is. So be it. That's all it means. And so when I come across a promise from God, I, realize, I read a promise in the Bible and I realize I don't have to pray as to whether it's a yes or no. If it's in the Bible, it's yes. In Christ, every promise is yes. And then I come along and say, hey, man, I'm claiming this for my life. And so you claim the promise of God. And so it gives you a sense of faith and hope for your future. Last thing I want to mention here. I've got about a minute to do this. And the final thing is live in obedience. This will help you with your doubts. Live in obedience. One of the best ways to combat doubt is to simply do what God's Word says to do. Obedience is a very powerful force against doubt. It's one of the major ways that you stand up against doubt. Real faith is not a feeling. Real faith is an action. How do you know that you have faith in someone's words? You obey them. Every time a child obeys a parent, it's a statement of faith. It's a statement of trust. No matter what the mind of the child might be saying about the parent's instructions, obedience is what matters. No matter what the child is feeling about the parent's instructions, if they obey, they're living in faith. What I want you to see tonight is obedience is a statement of faith. Every time you see something in the Scripture, God says, this is how I want you to live. This is what I want you to do. This is the life that I want you to to follow. And when you step in and say, yes, Lord, I'll do that, and you begin to do it, even when you don't feel it, you're obeying, and obedience is a statement of faith. 
And so every time you obey God's Word, you're demonstrating faith. There's an amazing story. I alluded to this or spoke about this in a ministry time recently. I want to take you to the actual passage in 2 Kings chapter 5. It's a great story, and with this we're going to conclude tonight. Can I have an extra couple of minutes? That'd be okay? Thank you. All right. 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 10 through 14. It's the story of Naaman. Anybody remember me talking about Naaman recently? Okay, I, in one of the ministry times. Naaman was a Syrian. He was a Syrian commander, and he contracted leprosy. And so he doesn't know God. He's not a part of the covenant people of God, but he's con- contracted leprosy. And there's a, a young Israelite girl that's in his family as a servant, and she tells him about Elisha the prophet back in Israel. And so uh, he comes to Elisha to find an answer, a cure for his leprosy, uh, Naaman does. Verse number 10. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, that's to Naaman, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. So what was the instruction the prophet gave him? Naaman, you came to me for healing. God wants to heal you, but here's what you need to do. Go to the Jordan River and wash yourself seven times. Dip yourself seven times. Now notice this next passage. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. How many of you are getting mad at God because sometimes he doesn't do it the way you want him to, right? So he thought, this is certainly how it'll happen. And then he says in verse 12, are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Everybody say, not a good idea. All right, not a good idea. Okay. So the prophet Elisha said, go to the water, Jordan, the water river, dip yourself seven times. You're going to get healed. And the guy says, I don't like those instructions. Why didn't he come out and at least wave his hand over me? Why didn't he come out and just say something like, in the name of Jesus, be healed? Why didn't he do something spiritual? He's telling me to go dip in the Jordan River. That doesn't make any sense. That's a nasty river. There are rivers back in Damascus that are a lot better than that. And he gets in this rage. He's angry because it's not happening the way he wanted it to happen. Now, notice what occurs here. Verse 13. Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So the servants come and say, Naaman, don't you understand? If he, if he told you to do something great, you would have done it. Why don't you do something simple? Okay, Just do, follow the instructions. Obey. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Do you know what brought the deliverance for Naaman? Although Naaman doubted, at least he eventually obeyed. Are you hearing me? Sometimes you may doubt. You may doubt what God's going to do in your life, but you just obey. You do what you need to do. And his answer to prayer came in his obedience, in the simple act of obedience. When you're obeying God's word, you're standing on solid ground against any doubt that will come your way. Even if you don't feel it, just do it, because in the doing of it, in the obedience of it, comes the blessing. There's always blessing in obedience. So what have we learned tonight? How do you break through your doubts? You develop what kind of faith? A simple faith. God is, God can, and God will. You never let your doubts keep you from praying. 
You understand how God answers. You trust the superiority of God's wisdom and plans. You record and recall God's answers. You focus on the promises of God and the God of the promises, and you live in obedience. Now, I will tell you, if you'll do this, you will see incredible answers to your prayer life and in your prayer life. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father, thank you so much for your word this evening, for the instructions that you've given us. We ask, Lord, that you'll help us to to break through the doubts in our life. Lord, sometimes the doubts come and harass us, but we, we want to live as people of faith, as people who, who break through this by practicing these principles. Let it become very real to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Settle this in our hearts. And Father, I pray tonight for those who are among us who perhaps have never given their life to Jesus. I pray that you'd help them, Lord, tonight to make the decision to turn their life over to you. Let this be their moment of opening their life to Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray, and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus... I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.